Acts chapter 1, and we're going to get into uh, the message this morning um, regarding uh, or called as the church. So last week we talked about being the church, and as the church we come into the presence of God. And as the church, in the presence of God, we hear his voice, we abide in him, and we live in that. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we don't have to wait to come here on Sundays to abide in God. We do that anytime. And so this week, as the church, we're being led by and living our life through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Acts chapter 1, I'm actually going to start in verse 4. In your notes, it has verses 6 through 11, but I'm going to go back to verse 4, and then it'll pick up on the screen with verse 6. And while staying with them, he, speaking of Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Picking up in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So take a minute or two now and just reflect on that, reread it, spend some time in prayer with the Lord, and then we'll get into the message. So, Father, as we get into your word now, Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak, continue to move. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, again, last week we were talking through... Uh, Numbers, chapter 9, we're talking about being the church, right? That we're setting up this place that God had asked Moses in Exodus uh, to build him a sanctuary so that he could dwell with his people, and that's what we're doing here. You know, so as we come to small C church, we learn what it is to be capital C church. You with me? So no matter what, if we leave this place, we don't stop doing what God has asked us to do. That we don't have to stop being in the presence of God when we walk through these doors at the end of service. So that all week long, we are seeking to abide in him at all costs, at all times. And as the church now, we are led by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so as we read in Acts that Jesus had promised his disciples and promises us the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a look today at what that means. And so to put this in a little bit of context, to look at that promise that he's given us, we look at John 16, verse 7, and prior to his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus was saying this to his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, Helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there Jesus making the promise that it is better, amazingly enough, to, it's hard to us for, to think through that concept that he told his disciples, it's better that I'm not in your presence. Powerful, isn't it? It says something to the effect of what is really going to come. What is this helper really going to do? And then after a kind of a, 
the telling in Luke of what we just read in Acts 1 is, is also mentioned in Luke chapter 24. And there, uh, similarly, it says, Thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And I love the way that's mentioned there, to be clothed with power. If you've ever, if you have a job, does anybody have a job where you have to wear a uniform? No? How about, anybody ever played sports? you got to put on the uniform, right? And so what is it about putting on that uniform? Why do we put on a uniform? For uniformity. Because you become, if you're, uh, you know, uh, your team is called the Warriors, you become a warrior. If you're a knight, you become a knight, right? And that's kind of who you become. It becomes your identity, clothing yourself in the logo and the colors and everything about that uniform. And so when we clothe ourselves in the Holy Spirit, that's what we become, that's who we are. And so throughout the ministry of Jesus and Scripture as a whole, the promise of the Holy Spirit is just as vital as any of the other, of the other promises that we need to hold on to. So looking at, back at our Scripture in Acts 1, verses 4 through 7, again, verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And so when we look at this portion of Scripture here, what Jesus is telling them to do is says, again, wait. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. And we'll kind of come back to what we talked about last week in a little bit. But he's saying that this promise is coming. And so as he's speaking to his disciples, their mind might be stirring a little bit. Well, what are you talking about? What promise are you referring to? And so if we go back in Scripture all through the Old Testament— and in a lot of those prophetic books, God had spoke of restoring Israel, about restoring Israel after its captivity with a spirit or his spirit. So this is a promise that had been spoken of for hundreds, if not over a thousand years. And these have been taught to the disciples. So they knew of this promise. They knew that God was going to bring Israel back. And so what they're thinking in their mind is this could be that promise. We see it in Isaiah, we see it in Ezekiel, in Joel, in Zechariah. And I'm going to read the one uh, in, in Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. And again, the book of Joel was written about anywhere between five and 800 years prior to the life of Christ. And in Joel 2, 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And jumping into verse, uh, excuse me, Joel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. So here the disciples might be thinking, okay, the Spirit's going to come to restore what? The kingdom of Israel that they had known and studied for so long. They're thinking it might be the fulfillment of that promise, that political, physical kingdom that Jesus was going to set up. But that's not what he was referring to. But again, they're thinking about something in particular versus what Jesus really wanted them to hear. And I want you to hear the question that the disciples asked Jesus before he goes to heaven. And, and what is the question that they ask? In verse 7. No, excuse me, verse 6. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they're a little more concerned, not so much with what, but when. The timing of when this is going to happen. They're thinking again, time. Is this the time? Is it going to happen now that the kingdom of Israel is restored? And it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't answer that question. He doesn't answer the question because it's a wrong question. He doesn't answer the question because he wants to bring their focus to what's more important in this conversation. Remember last week in talking about abiding in God, in being the church, and coming to church, we abide in him. And remember we talked about the fact that there's no timetable in the presence of God. Right? So when they were uh, wandering in the, in the wilderness and that cloud settled down, it could have settled down for how long? Maybe a night. It could have settled down for a week. It could have settled down for a month. It could have settled down for a year or more. And they had to wait in the presence of God until that cloud lifted and they could move on. So again, we talked about and referred to there's no timetable in the presence of God. And so there's some consistency to the way that Jesus responds to the disciples in this moment. Again, he doesn't not answer the question because it's a wrong question. But he answers in a beautiful way that he's answered the same way in the entirety of his ministry and that we see throughout Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And if we jump ahead into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. We're not to be concerned with how long or when, because we can get caught up in that, can't we? We're so confined by time. We talked about that last week as well, the immediacy of our culture. I want it now, 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 now. If I have to wait, it doesn't sit well with me. I get uncomfortable if I have to wait. And so that's the lesson that we need to pick up right off the bat is, we don't need to worry about when. We need to be more concerned with what it is that we do. We need to be more concerned about who we are to be in Christ and what he has asked us to do to follow through with what we talked about last week as well. And this lesson is we need to follow and we need to obey. Amen? That's, it doesn't matter how long. doesn't matter how short. We need to follow and we need to obey. And so if we jump into the the theme of this morning, if there is any verse that we pull out from Acts chapter 1 and what we read, it's verse 8. And that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time on this morning. In verse 8, again, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit's power is given to us in order to fulfill our mission. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit's power is given to us so that we can fulfill our mission. Jesus was baptized not only with water, but with the Holy Spirit. We read that in Luke chapter 3. And it's that same Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. We see that in Luke chapter 4. Something interesting to note about that. Jesus, before he starts his ministry, he's led out into the wilderness. He spends time fasting and praying being ministered to, but he also is led into what? Conversation with Satan, who tries to tempt him. 
in various ways. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is able to withstand that temptation and respond to Satan with the word of God. And then we read later on in Luke 4.14 that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went out through all the surrounding country. So again, this Holy Spirit, this promise that Jesus gives us, that God has promised to us, it gives us what? Power to fulfill our mission. We need to be aware the Holy Spirit will lead us to places that we may not be comfortable with. I don't hear anything. I'm going to say that again. We, may, we need to be aware that the Holy Spirit will lead us to places that we are not comfortable with. But what's our job? To follow and to obey. To follow and to obey. And it is through the power of God, power of his presence, the power of the Spirit, that no matter where we are, we can get through that issue, that problem, that obstacle. So again, the Holy Spirit's power is given us to order, in order to fulfill our mission. And then through the Holy Spirit's power, our mission is to what? Be his witnesses. So we read in Acts 1.8, right? To be his witnesses. And what does that mean? How, do, how are we a witness to the grace of God? What do we do with that? And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we share our story. Our testimony is powerful. That's how we witness about God's grace. We make it personal. Not everybody has to stand with their Bible out in the public square preaching the word of God. If God leads you to do that, amen. Praise God. God bless you. We'll support you in that. But he has allowed you to go through what you're going through for a purpose. He has given you your struggles. He has given you the things you've gone through for a reason. Because all that tells a story of his grace. And if that's what you can speak to, that becomes a witness. That becomes a testimony to who God is. And that is how we draw others into a relationship with God. Because they can look at you and they can see everything that you've gone through, despite it all, and say, God got me through that. It was God's presence, God's power, God's spirit that allowed me to get through that circumstance, not to be buried underneath it. That's the purpose of us being a witness for him. There's great purpose in your story. We see this in, in, in Paul's life in, in the New Testament as he goes out and begins his ministry. As he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I thank him who has given me strength. Now that's great. We get, we get strength in God. But what does it mean that he has given him strength? He had filled him with the power of the Holy Spirit. In the transformation that Paul went through when he met Jesus on the road. It was in those moments that he was renewed, that he was transformed, that he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do all that God had asked him to do. And he goes on to tell just a, a, a smidgen of his testimony. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And we see that throughout Paul's ministry, his testimony, his word, because his name preceded him. He was known as Saul, the, 
person who would imprison Christians, the person who would murder Christians, the person who was trying to destroy the church. And so as he was traveling around after his transformation, people knew of him and were afraid of him. And it gave him the opportunity to share of God's grace and how that completely transformed his life because of what God had done in and through him. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, we read this almost the same thing. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That power to be a witness, that power that gives us boldness, that power that gives us courage to go out and share our faith with a complete stranger. On, be honest, how many are completely scared, completely uncomfortable with the prospect of walking up to a complete stranger that you don't know on the street and telling them about Jesus? Be honest with me. And I'm raising my hand, not to get you to raise your hand, but I'm raising my hand because I'm afraid to do that. I am. It's a scary thing. It's unnerving. It's uncomfortable. And if it was in our strength alone to do that, to be a witness of Jesus Christ, we would not do it. We would not accomplish it because we don't have that kind of boldness and courage in our own strength, in our own will, in our own way. It has to come from Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life that gives us, gives us the courage to move forward in faith and open up our mouth and share of his love and share of what he's done for our life. Amen? So the last part of verse 8 is, where do we witness? We have the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witness. Where do we do it? Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Everywhere. And what he was telling his disciples is that you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He didn't leave anywhere out. That we are a witness right here in Lake Elsinore. We are a witness right here in our home. We start with the people that we're familiar with. We start with the people that we know that need the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then we go out wherever God leads us. And that could be to Marietta. That could be to Paris. That could be to you name it, locally. It could be on the other side of the globe. It doesn't matter where we are because the message is the same. God's grace is the same. Our purpose is the same. So that anything that we do, anything that we think that we are, or anything that we want to become, it's all subordinate to how we are supposed to live our life. Your title does not define you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter who you think you are. How we are to live, what we are to speak, that's the importance. And maybe at one point, those of us that raised our hand about that fear of, of witnessing for Jesus Christ, of opening up our mouth to share of what he's done in our life, we can, we can talk like Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. He says, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard, meaning Jesus and the Spirit has filled us so much so that the moment we open our mouth, that's what comes out. We don't leave room for anything else in our life to occupy our heart, to occupy our mind. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what we need to do. You know, I came across this quote, and it, it, it literally made me sit back. I did. I actually sat back in my chair and went, and just it caused me to reflect, because I want you to think about what it is that we're trying to do here 
in Lake Elsinore, in building this church, in ministering to the city. Please listen to these words, and I'll read this as many times as you need me to. But this is Richard N. Longenecker, and this is what he says. The Christian church, according to Acts, is a missionary church that responds obediently to Jesus' commission. Acts on Jesus' behalf in the extension of his ministry focuses its proclamation on the kingdom of God and its witness to Jesus, is guided and empowered by the self-same spirit that directed and supported Jesus' ministry, and follows a program whose guidelines for outreach have been set by Jesus himself. Did you catch all those nuances of what he's saying? Everything that we do here and out there, any program that we decide to create or event that we have, it all is established on who Jesus is by the power of the Spirit that served Jesus in his ministry, that serves us in our ministry. The Spirit that led Jesus back then is the same Spirit we have now. Everything that we do is filtered in and through the Word of God and the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Nothing else matters. We don't create programs just to have a program. We're going to create programs. We're going to have events and do everything according to the word of God because that's what we're obedient to, not because we want to appeal to people's emotions or feelings or expectations of what they think the church should be. That doesn't matter to us here. What matters to us is the word of God, that we're obedient to the word of God. Everything we do is filtered through the word of God. That's why we sit and reflect and meditate and, and, and spend some time in silence with the word of God. It's everything to us. That is what this church is built on. So as the church, we are led by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand a few of the purposes of God's indwelling spirit in our life. i got three quick things I want to share with you. Number one, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life keeps us accountable to who we represent as witnesses of the grace of God. I understand we're inclined to sin time to time. I won't have you raise your hand because every hand would go up. I already know that. We are easily tempted to do what the world says is pleasing, that which does not coincide with the word of God. It's what we're inclined to do. It's our sinful nature. So it's the Holy Spirit in us that keeps us accountable to the obedience of God's word. Galatians 5.25, please write this verse down. Galatians 5.25, it says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And I love that because there's action in that verse. If we live by the Spirit, which is action, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So as we go, as we do what God calls us to do, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In the verse that we're all very, very familiar with in Scripture that we learn in children's ministry and, 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 and create crafts with and, and do color pages with, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? We could name them all right now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and on and on and on, right? And not to demean the fruit of the Spirit, it's very important, but that's exactly what we're getting at. That is the character. Clothing ourselves in the Holy Spirit is that we live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and the one we all really don't like to mention, self-control. <laughs> self-control. That's how we're to live at all times. And if we are not living out those characteristics of holy living, and that is when we are out of step with the Holy Spirit. 
And so when we're living a life in Christ and we're out of step and we're not living out those qualities of the Holy Spirit, that fruit, those deeds, those actions in love, joy, peace, and so on, then we're out of step. And it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us accountable to that and brings us right back to Scripture. That's keeping in step. The Holy Spirit keeps us accountable. Number two, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life frees us from the weight of the law. It sets us free. Does this mean you don't need to obey the law? Please say no. (laughs) Yes, you have to obey the law. It just means that we don't need to worry about keeping the law in order to work our way to salvation. Understand? Isn't Isn't there freedom in that? To not have to worry about all these different laws that I have to keep to make myself a better person in order to work my way to salvation? Jesus said no. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith not of works so that we don't boast so suppose i had kept every single law in lake elsinore for 20 years solid resident of lake elsinore kept every single law that lake elsinore has on the books never broke a single one and i sit back and i'm waiting for the mayor and the city council members and law enforcement officials to come to my door knock on my door because they have certificates and they have plaques and they have a trophy to thank me for my good service for not ever breaking a law, a single law in Lake Elsinore. Is that going to happen? No, because you're not praised for keeping the law. But the moment I run through a stop sign, the moment I steal something, the singular moment I break a law, I'm convicted. One, keeping the law doesn't get you anything. The, The law exists to reveal our sin. And living in step with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life frees us from the weight of having to worry about keeping the law to make us better people. We don't have to worry about that. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 11 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So this body, this structure, dead. For the wages of sin is death. But the Spirit, indwelling Spirit in our life, frees us and makes us alive to pursue righteousness, to pursue Christ. And I love this verse. I always apply this to my history classes as I was a a U.S. history teacher. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And say that again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the indwelling Holy Spirit in our life, that means we are free. Number three, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life will teach us the way of righteousness. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life will teach us the way of righteousness. How many know the difference between right and wrong? Raise your hand. Liars. Because if you knew the difference between right and wrong, you would be perfect. But we fail. We mess up. I caught you, didn't I? That was good. I, was, I even have it in my notes. Oh, we got a bunch of perfect people in the room. See, because I, I knew you were going to fail. Yes, we think we know right and wrong, but yet we still sin. 
Hmm. So we need the Holy Spirit in our life to teach us. And that's exactly what Scripture says is one of the purposes of God's indwelling Spirit in our life. Luke 12, 12 says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. There are times when we feel the weight of the world to know the entire Bible. We talked about that earlier. Because we need to defend our faith, but 1,600 pages of words and information is tough to memorize and live out. So yeah, you may not memorize the entirety of this book, but the Holy Spirit exists to teach us what it is that we are to say. Now, I was spending some time with a gentleman this past week, and he'd asked me to come over and just spend some time talking with him because he was struggling and, and just going through a lot of things. And I had no clue what I was walking into. I really didn't. I didn't know him. The meeting was set up through a, a friend of ours. And I had no clue what he was going to say, no clue what to expect, no t- clue what he was wanting to talk about. But I just, on my way to meet him, I just had to spend time in prayer and say, Jesus, by your spirit, please grant me the wisdom and everything that I'm going to need to be able to speak life into this man because I don't know what it is. So not being prepared is a scary situation. But yet through the entirety of the conversation that we had for about an hour and a half, the Holy Spirit was there just giving me scripture after scripture after scripture to apply to everything that he was struggling with. And it's not because I had had those on a card ready for him, but because I trusted that the Holy Spirit inside of me was going to teach me and tell me what it is that I needed to know to speak life into this man and help him in his time of need. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us. We need to listen to that voice. So again, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life keeps us accountable. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life frees us from the weight of the law. And the Holy Spirit's presence in our life will teach us what it is that we need to know or what it is that we need to say, or dare I say, when it's appropriate to not say anything at all. We need that discernment as well, don't we? But we live in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we need to abide in that. Anthony, why don't you guys come on back up as we, as we finish out. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 of Acts 1 just as we conclude this morning. Verse 9, it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There's another beautiful promise of what we get to expect. Ladies and gentlemen, if, I, if you haven't been told before, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. But do we sit and just stare and wait? No, that's exactly what we're being told. Don't just sit and stare. He's coming back. So get to work is what I believe these angels were speaking to the disciples. He said, don't just sit here and stare into the, into the heavens. He's coming back. He's giving you a commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that promise of Jesus that I love throughout Scripture is, and I will be with you, and I will be with you wherever you go. Why? Because of his presence in our life. The indwelling Holy Spirit in our life is with us wherever we go. But it said Jesus is coming back the same way as he left. And that, that, that 
made me pause for just a second to go, okay, what does that mean? Does it just mean that he's coming back and we don't know how or why or where? No, but that's the beautiful thing. And I love, uh, if you guys know Pastor David uh, Guizik, I think it was, or Guzik, Calvary Chapel, he said this, Jesus left physically and he will come back in the same manner. He left visibly and will so come in like manner. He left from the Mount of Olives and will so come in like manner. We read that in the book of Zechariah, that Jesus will descend again physically into the Mount of Olives. He left in the presence of his disciples and will so come in like manner. He left blessing his church and will so come in like manner. Jesus is coming back. And as these angels spoke to his disciples, he's coming back in the same way that he left. So they were given the charge to go and be his witnesses and make disciples. And the same applies to us today. So as the church, we are led by the presence of the Holy Spirit who keeps us accountable, causes us to walk in freedom, and teaches us so we can be a witness to God's amazing grace and give hope to those who need him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it says to us. It's truth. It's power. Lord Jesus, we are eternally grateful for the presence of your spirit in our life. Thank you, Father, for the promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that you'll be with us wherever we go, and may we rest in that, Jesus. But we also pray, Lord God, that if we need more boldness and courage this morning to be able to speak up, to open up our mouth and share and be your witness here in this city, in our place of work, for our family, wherever it is that we go, Lord God, may we, like Peter, that I can't help but speak of your good grace and your love and your hope to truly be your witness wherever we are. Thank you, Father, for this morning. I pray, Lord God, and continue to just envelop each and every one of us that even as we leave this place, we continue to walk in your presence, that we abide in you, and that we allow ourselves to be led by your indwelling spirit in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.